Thank you. I feel as if we could just listen to that song for the rest of the evening or the rest of the morning, and that would be an incredible message, no? Wow. Um, I want to start real quick um, with a word about New Zealand. I've been reading some accounts over the last few days, and I want to put this, I want to give some handles on this for us. Um, Most of you know I grew up uh, in Detroit, outside of Detroit, grew up with a lot of Jewish friends, a lot of Muslim friends, um, in fact, almost no Christian friends. And I I just want to put some handles on this. When, When our Muslim brothers and sisters worship in a mosque, it looks very similar to how we worship. There are grandmothers that put the kids in the front of the line for the meal when they break fast. Um, there are greeters at the door. There are ushers. Um, in fact, there is, there is one usher that was killed that welcomed um, the murderer in. And he said, welcome, brother. Uh, so it looks very much like what it looks like for us on a Sunday morning. And that was taken from them. And I want to be very clear um, that we denounce white supremacy in every way, shape, and form. It is evil. It is sin. It is not um, the way that the Lord has intended his people to live. And it is um, an ideology that when people are partnered with it, some of the most horrific chapters of our past um, have, have happened. Some of you have fought against that in war. And some of the most horrific things that are happening right now um, have happened because of those that are partnered with such an evil and sinful ideology. So we do renounce that in the name of Jesus. We do not partner with that in any way, shape, or form. And we align ourselves with the peace, the shalom of Christ. We align ourselves, (laughs) amen. And we align ourselves with um, the hospitality of Christ to our neighbors, to our brothers and sisters, to even people of the book. Um, So I would like our brother Calvin to come up and pray over me for the message um, and also pray for his native country. Come on up, Calvin. It's going to be a little bit harder than I thought it was going to be. Um, Can I just begin by saying how um, grateful, you know, just it's a personal thing about how grateful um, I am for the prayers uh, that you have lifted up for this um, funky little country. 
at the butt end of the world. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Thank you. Um, New Zealand is a nation that um, is embracing, and we it's a country that welcomes just a, a variety of different people. I appreciate that about that little place. And this is a, um, this is a very deep scar for New Zealand, and it will be one that is a, it will take a long time to heal, because it's just so jolting, it's just so unexpected. So I appreciate, I really do, I really appreciate it, and it's, um, it's been a, um, it's been a bit of a heart-wrenching few days. So thank you. I am going to pray for breath. I'm going to pray for breath. I absolutely am going to pray for breath, for breath. Yeah. and for Beth even. <laughs> Jesus, in your name, there are no mass killings. Hallelujah. In heaven where you reside, the evil of this has no place. And here in the sanctuary, there is no place for support of people who commit what we have just seen in New Zealand, but not just New Zealand, in Europe. And it's not yes. in this country, around the world, our enemy is doing everything he can to strike division. And that song that we just heard, that Brittany sang, that is a prayer. Trust in me, look to me. I am your peace. I am your ideology. I am the one who has said, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, under you, and God our Father, your love extends to every single human being on this earth as they were the only one ever created. Whatever color they are, whatever system of beliefs, whatever, you love them unconditionally. You don't always agree with us. We don't always agree with you. But you created us in your image. So Lord, my, my prayer, I pray, a, I pray a prayer of forgiveness and I pray that people everywhere can have a sense of forgiveness and just to give this over to you. I do pray for the families, all of those families impacted in this tragedy. I pray for the perpetrator, Lord, that at some point in this, that it may be revealed to him the glory of who you are and an understanding of what actually he has done. So we pray a prayer of forgiveness for him. And Lord, for the healing um, of a nation. Yes. Lord, we lift up Beth to you. And we pray that the words that are spoken through her today that are not her words, that Holy Spirit, you provide that infilling, 
that the words spoken out of her mouth come from you. So we thank you. We pray a prayer of praise over Beth um, and of this congregation that we hear the message that you want us to hear. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yes. All right. Moving right along. We are in John 17. Um, I am privileged and blessed and happy to bring this message to you. And uh, so our text today is 17 verses 6 through 8. And you would think that this would be a very short message. It's only three little verses. Um, but you, you know preachers. Yes, you know. <laughs> um, so I will make it as concise as possible. But you would not believe the amount of stuff that comes out when you really study the Word of God. Um, so first, uh, as I've already mentioned, I am from Detroit. If you didn't know that, I am from a suburb of Detroit. But um, my whole family uh, were very into cars. You can, it's like kind of like you can take the girl out of Detroit, uh, but not Detroit out of the girl. So my father reads his motor trend faithfully every month for like 50 years. And my both of my grandfathers at one point worked for GM, one of them for for almost 40 years, and my brother-in-law works for GM and works at, in, in corporate at GM. So we're a car family, and um, so, you know, lots of little girls grew up kind of like getting to go to the ice capades or like going, I don't know, go, I don't know what little girls did that were like princessy. Like, like, like there were some things like that that would happen with little girls. We grew up every January going to the North American International Auto Show in Detroit. We looked forward to it every year and we knew people that like designed the, the exhibits and stuff like that and we would get kind of like VIP tours and yeah, so I'm like six, seven, eight, nine years old and I can't, when are we going to the auto show? When are we going to the auto show? Um, so here are some of the, the big reveals from this year, from 2019 in Detroit. Um, some of the concept cars. Now, if you don't know what a concept car is, I feel very bad for you. But um, if you don't know, if you don't know what that is, that's when they do this big reveal of a new, like a car from the future. Um, and some of them are already in the works. Some of them are like, yeah, we're going to see this in like three years. Some of them are like no, this is out of the Jetsons. We're not going to see this, but we thought it would be fun to show you what we can do. <laughs> so, um, so you're seeing some of these. This is my favorite one because we're not going to see this for a while, but this is my, <laughs> this is my favorite one. Um, and it's, what is that? It's an infinity? Yeah, it's an infinity. Um, so this is my favorite one. And, and they work for months, for months and years. And then at this, at this auto show, now there's some auto shows around the world. There's some in Europe, there's one in LA, um, but the Detroit one is the big one. That's where they do the big reveals. I remember in middle school, maybe ninth grade, I remember the, bi the, the big reveal of the Dodge Neon, no joke. It was like a huge deal, because like every 16-year-old girl wanted it after that. I remember the reveal of the new Beetle, I drove a Beetle for 10 years. Um, I remember the reveal of the new Beetle when they were bringing back the bug and it was this brand new design. Um, and so they, they kind of 
Build your anticipation. Um, we're, we're talking about a verse today in which Jesus is a, a total pivot. So from now, from verse one to six, or one to five, that we've already talked about in John 17, he's been mostly praying for himself, interceding on behalf of himself. And now he does a total switch to interceding on behalf of the disciples, interceding on behalf of others. And one of the first things that he says in this bundle of verses is, I have revealed. I have revealed you to them. I gave them the words that you gave to me. I revealed to them the name that you gave to me. Some, some people... Um, some people talk in Christian circles, some people talk about this, the Philip test. Has anyone ever heard of this? The Philip test? Oh, well. Um, <laughs> the Philip test. So in John 6, a few chapters uh, before this, when Jesus uh, is, sees that this crowd of people is coming and he's like, now he's exhausted. We've gone over this before. He's exhausted. He's, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the hospitality, the shalom of Christ. He's like, okay, how are, we gonna, how are we gonna feed all these people? Philip, how much money do we have? Philip, how are we gonna, Philip was the kind of the, the banker of the crew. How, how are we gonna feed these people? Philip's answer, um, he, he said it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each person to have one bite. So, <laughs> so how many of us could have said or would have said, you know, they believe he's the son of God. They believe there is divinity. They believe he has worked miracles. How come Philip didn't say, well, we don't really have any money, but uh, okay, here's a rock. Jesus, go ahead and make the rock into bread, and then we can multiply it, and then we can, no, no. Uh, I'm sorry, teacher. I'm sorry, rabbi. We don't have any money to feed these people. He could have said, here's a blade of grass. Jesus, we don't have any money, but if you blew on this blade of grass, we could have fish and loaves for everyone. No, Philip didn't say that. How many of us would have been able to? We live in such practical boxes. How many of us would have been able to say, well, we don't have any money, but that's no problem. You're the son of God. You've worked miracles in front of my face. You can feed all these people, right? I don't think a lot of us would have been able to say something like that when the teacher looked at us and said, okay, you know, how we're gonna feed these people. Wow, so let's look at our text for today. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Amen. Amen. So one of the questions we're going to explore this morning is, are we missing the greatest reveal, the greatest reveal in our own lives? Jesus, son of God, son of man, was face to face with them, they, and, and he revealed to them the greatest thing that they will ever come to know. But 
I believe that he's doing it. God is doing that in our lives over and over and over every day. He doesn't stop revealing things to us. He doesn't stop working in our lives. So even those of us that have come to the greatest reveal, knowing Jesus as our friend and savior and hope and light and peace, those of us that have come to the greatest reveal, it's not over. There could be more reveals and, and, and great, wonderful reveals coming that we miss. We miss God's work. We don't recognize his presence. Jesus said, I gave it to them. I revealed it to them. They heard and they received. They heard and they believed. So why don't we? There are many answers to this question. Sociologically, sociologically, there are answers. Culturally, there are answers. Anecdotally, there are answers because of what we've experienced in life. Anecdotally, there are answers. So we're only going to take we're only going to take a look at a couple today, um, and and hopefully give you some some handles on this so that you can move forward in your, in your life and not miss the reveals. Um, so to do this, first we're gonna look at Exodus 3, one through four. By the way, I do wanna tell you, if you have your Bibles out or your apps out, we're gonna be looking at, we're gonna be going back to John 17, six through eight a couple, a couple times today, so keep that handy. That was the, the first verse that we just read. So Exodus 3, one through four, talks about Moses. It says this, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Some translations say Moses regarded the bush. He saw the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. I think there are some of us that would be with Moses and some of us that would be like, oh no, see ya. (laughs) I don't know which camp you're in, but uh, Moses is like, yeah, let me go see this bush on fire that's not burning up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. Moses had already been through a lot. We know this. Um, There was genocide going on when he was born. In order to protect him, his mother, instead of wanting him to be killed, his mother set him in a basket and put him in the Nile River. And Pharaoh's daughter found him. He grew up in a palace, but then he saw his people being enslaved and, be, and, there, and he uh, killed someone and he had to run away. And now he, he's finally, he's married, he's settled down, he's tending sheep, he's left all of that drama behind him and pain and confusion. Why can't you just let me live in peace? Just leave me be. Uh huh. Can't you just leave me in peace? That's a key of this story. What basic things do we know about shepherding? 
We've talked about shepherding a lot um, because, you know, Jesus is our shepherding. So basic things that we know about shepherding are fields, lots of nature. He's walking. It says he's walking um, on the other side of the wilderness. Lots of walking, hiking, grass, hills, trees, streams. What else do we know about shepherding? It was lonely. It was generally just one man, but sometimes two. But it was lonely. We know that David would compose music. David would sit and play his instruments. Okay? So there's, uh, I think some of you might know this. Think the, the desktop background of Windows XP. All right? <laughs> the rolling hills and the, and the peacefulness. Think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. That's where they would lead the sheep, to the still waters, because that's where the sheep would drink. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. When we're talking about shepherds, there's kind of a bucolic, like a, a peaceful, peaceful idea there. So, in a city of almost 500,000 now, where traffic is getting worse every year, accidents are growing every year, how many of us can say that that's pretty much what our lives look like? Like this peaceful, idyllic... Now, we do know that shepherds had to be fierce because they had to protect from wolves and thieves and things like that. We do. I'm not negating that. But how many of us kind of feel like every day our life just looks like we need to protect this group of sheep by walking to and from through fields and streams and, and green grass? That's not, that's not what our lives look like. But because that was what, jo what Moses was doing at the time, he had the capacity, he had the brain space to stop and to hear from the Lord, Moses. Moses, huh, this is strange. He had the time to deviate from his schedule with the sheep. He had time, he had margin to deviate and think, huh, what is going on over here? Let's check it out. And that's where God met him. There is... Um, Oh, Kurt Thompson. Yeah, let's go there. So Kurt Thompson um, is, a, is an MD, and he wrote this incredible book called Anatomy of the Soul. And he says this about this story. Just as for Moses, there was a bush. For others in scripture, there were dreams, voices, angels, family dynamics, and other impressions so God speaks to us using signposts mediated by the activity of our brain. If we are not paying attention to these functions of the brain, we will not be able to attend to what God is trying to tell us. Moses' brain was able to function in the way that he could listen, he could hear from God, because he had this margin. He had this space. He had this peace. Um, there, uh, there's another book called Learning to Walk in the Dark. It's by um, Barbara Brown Taylor. She's a Christian author. And I didn't get really excited about this message until I read this 
this book and this, this passage. And then I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is so interesting. This is amazing. Then I got really excited about sharing this with you. So she, um, she's studying this. Uh, she was kind of walking in a dark night of the soul, um, not, not feeling very close to God. And so she's studying, she's studying darkness. And uh, <laughs> in order to learn how to walk in it, and she goes to the National Institute for Mental Health where they do sleep studies, lots of sleep studies. And so here is one of the, uh, just an incredible thing that she found when she was walking around and, and, and talking with um, all of the scientists and the doctors at the National Institute for Mental Health. They did a study about um, the length of our sleep and, and what that's doing to our brains. So we think that eight hours, give or take, is really what we're supposed to get to stay healthy, to stay healthy, functioning adults. Um, and this eight hours of consecutive sleep of, and then we, you know, we go through the cycles of deep sleep and, and whatever. But there's something a while ago, like over a century ago, there's an invention that completely changed the course of humanity, the course of society. So if you think about, if you think about, you know, the cavemen, they they learned fire and that, um, and then and the, the way that that changed the course of our history. There's there's some posts, like some some posts in our history of inventions like that. This is one of them. Do you know what it is? Yes, exactly. Wow, you're all very smart. So um, the incandescent, specifically the incandescent light bulb changed the course of history. Because before, we were living in about 14 hours of darkness. Not a ton you could do, but rest and lay and sleep. 14 hours of darkness. And so what, uh, they, they took a group of people that wanted to participate in this study and kind of leave their lives for a little bit and, um, and said, let's see what happens. Let's measure the brain waves. Let's measure when they live like this with 14 hours of darkness without all, all of the artificial light, without the, the ways that we stay productive through the hours of the night. So at first they were just doing catch up. They would sleep like 11 or 12 hours a day because they were catching up from a busy life. But then their body pretty much settled into eight hours. However, it wasn't eight hours of consecutive sleep. They would go to bed and, you know, when it got dark and whatever, they would go. But because they weren't completely exhausted, they would lay resting for an hour two hours, then they would fall asleep and there would be the deep sleep and then maybe about four hours would go by then they'd wake up again and they'd just lay and rest. A couple hours, they'd fall back into deep sleep, maybe sleep for about another four hours and then, you know, dawn is breaking. So the most incredible thing that the scientists found, that the researchers found, they said that it was like finding a fossil like a human fossil in the way that our brain works because in those times of rest, we went into the theta waves, so not the deep sleep and not the wide awake, but in this kind of dream-like state. And we wonder why so many key stories in the Bible 
revolve around dreams. They had the space. They had the margin. They, their brain was functioning in a way that they could receive messages, dreams, impressions, prayers from the Lord because they weren't living at this level of adrenaline and productivity. So did the invention of the light bulb do incredible things for us? Of course, absolutely. Uh, technology is not a bad thing. But the, the, the sort of collateral damage was darkness. The collateral damage was darkness, and then the collateral damage is brain function because we need to be more and more productive. Productivity became king instead of resting, hearing from the Lord, giving ourselves margin. We were not meant to live at such a level of adrenaline and noise and rush at all times. Now, does God reveal himself in our busy lives? Yes, of course he does. God is not going to be hindered by the sort of blocks that, that we've put up in our, in our human lives. Um, of course he does. But think of how much more we could be receiving. Think of how much more we could be in contact with the very source of life. The very source of light and love and hope, and joy, and abundance, the very source of life, how much more life, true life, could we be connected to if we didn't live with this, and we didn't live at more productivity, more noise, more rush, more things. Some of us, I am built this way. I am, I am wired together in a way, this is not a mistake, God made me this way. I am wired together in a way that I fill the spaces. I mean, most of you know, I live at Mary's home. Like, I, I have a whole nother job um, where I'm, I'm ministering to people and I'm living life with people. I'm not just at my, my own little safe house every day. So I, I live in this way, I fill the spaces. I know a lot of us do. And so I have had to learn to strip that away. I have had to learn to strip that down. Now, do I, <laughs> if you could see my planner, the times of silence and solitude, the times of margin, the times of prayer, the times of meditation, they are scheduled in. <laughs> it's not like I leave the city and I go walking around the mountains for 24 hours. Um, they, they are scheduled but that's what I mean about our busy lives. How, how are we going to do this? Sorry, Ryan. Did it just fall off? David, where'd you put hands three? I'm going to keep talking, though. <laughs> so if we lived with intentional spaces for margin and rest and quiet, we allowed our brain to go into theta waves where we're neither 
fully asleep or fully awake, think of how much more we could be connected to the true source of life. Um, <laughs> I need, even when, <laughs> for those of us that have smartwatches, even when my smartwatch dings and is like, thank you, and is like, ding, time to stand up. I'm like, you don't know me. Like, or it's like, it's like, ding, time to breathe. Do deep breathing for one minute. I'm like, I don't know Like, even, <laughs> even when we have these reminders, we're like, ugh, forget it. I, I mean, really, really, it's that, it's that um, much of a thing, right? So there's, <laughs> so there's, there's another question that this leads us to. And that is, do we believe God is a giver? Okay, so true source of life, true source of our abundance, true source of our peace and joy and um, provision. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that he is a giver or do we need to produce, 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 right? So there is an enemy, we all know this, there is an enemy to the romance that God initiates between himself and his people. There is an enemy that wants us to miss the reveal over and over. There is an enemy that wants us to be distracted so that we are not that connected to the true source of life and love and light. He studies us. This enemy studies us knows our weaknesses, knows what tactics to employ to keep us distracted. And then we reach these points that we don't really believe that God is the one that's for us. We don't really believe that he's providing, that it's really on our shoulders. We don't really believe that he cares or that he's intimately involved in our lives or whatever the doubt is, we get to these places because we have an enemy that wants us, that is trying to get us to that place. I'm preaching to myself this morning. Man, oh man. So a central theme throughout this prayer is that we serve a God, we are in covenant with a God that is inherently giving. So look at 17 again, 17, six through eight, if you have it out, especially in these three verses, there's this idea that between God and Jesus and within the Holy Trinity, there is extravagant giving. One commentator says, a mutual extravaganza of giving. Just about these three little verses, a mutual extravaganza of giving. Both the Father and the Son are givers and their mutual giving constitutes the grace which those that belong to Jesus have inherited. We now, the disciples and us, we now live in this grace. Their mutual giving reveals, once again, the oneness that's expressed in John's, kind of what they call his just as theology. This is all over John, but especially in John 17. Just as this, Jesus does this. Just as this, Jesus is this. Just as the Father this, so is the son. And now that we are one with Jesus and the father, now it applies to us. 
Just as God the Father this, so the Son, so his disciples. And that's us. Amen. We are the beneficiaries of this mutual extravaganza of giving. If we ask, who are these ones about whom Jesus prays, right? Like the question is, it's those that God gave him. If we ask why it is that, we, that, that they've come to know Jesus as resurrected Lord and Savior, it's because, as Jesus said, they were yours and you gave them to me. It's all about this giving, this giving and receiving, this giving and receiving. I would love to look at a clip from one of my favorite movies. <laughs> You're gonna laugh when you see it, but I'm, it's very serious, okay? It's very serious. <laughs> All right, let's turn off the lights. Eugene Fitzherbert. Someone might as well know. I have magic hair that glows when I sing. What? I have magic hair that glows when I sing. Allow our demon glow. Let your power shine. <gasps> Eugene! 
I didn't see that coming. <laughs> that was a pretty big, that was a pretty big reveal. But what she says next, this next line that she's about to say, she looks at him and she says, it doesn't just glow. Does anyone know what else it does? It heals. The hair, the hair heals. If you haven't seen this movie, I highly recommend it. It's called Tangled. Um, it doesn't just glow. So she's about to wrap it around his hand and heal the gash on his hand. Listen, God gives big. Her hair glows. That got them out. That was a pretty big reveal. Her hair also heals. God gives extravagantly. Jesus said in John 14, we are in John a lot today. In John 14, he tells the disciples, you will do even greater things than I. Jesus performed miracles. You will do even greater things than I because of the power that he has given. We just have to receive it. God gives big. How many times, this is another Barbara Brown Taylor quote from, from learning to walk in the dark. How many times have I rejected love because it did not present itself in the way I expected in a form acceptable to me? How many times was I just too busy? How many times was I just focused on other things? Or how many times did I let apathy creep in because to be numb is just easier? To be numb is just easier. Hmm. There are two reveals going on in this clip. So obviously, huge reveal. Her hair glows. It gets them you know, it gets them out and her hair heals. And this friend that she's been traveling with had no idea. It's a huge, it's a huge reveal. There's a more subtle reveal in that they were almost going to die. They were trapped in a cave that was filling with water. They were going to drown. And at the last second, she remembered, I can get us out of here because of this power that I have been given in my hair at the last second. So think about the times where you're in a situation and you're like, this is not good. There's something about this that feels off. It maybe might not even be life or death. It could be life or death. Many of you have been in those situations, but it could even be less dramatic than that. Hmm, something about this feels off. Something here isn't right. Something, look for the ways that God has given you the power to get out. God has revealed things to you and in you that also means you have to stop and be still. Hmm, something isn't right here. What should I do here, Lord? You've given me the power to get out. I wanna practice something real quick Real quick, literally 60 seconds. Um, we've done this before. We, we like to practice silence in our gathering together. Um, 
because it is a spiritual discipline and, and because the Lord speaks to us with a still small voice. So I want you, uh, we're gonna do 60 seconds of silence right now. And I have also said this before, it generally, in a group of people, it generally takes 60 seconds to get over the awkwardness and then your, your, your brain and your being actually start to kind of rest into the silence. So just know that we're not going past 60 seconds. We're just doing 60 seconds. So awkwardness, be gone. I denounce that in the name of Jesus. No awkwardness. Okay, so 60 seconds. This is what it feels like. And this is only 60 seconds. Okay, ready, go. Amen. That was only 60 seconds. Could you feel something different happening in your body? My biggest problem right now is my jaw. So anytime I have a moment to, to not be productive, anytime I have a moment of silence, that is the first thing that I have to pay attention to and the first thing that... that comes to light because the pain starts. And so that's the first thing. Oh, okay, right, my jaw, my teeth. What's, what's the next thing? So what's the first thing that happens in your body? Then what's the next thing? Then what's the next thing? Then what is the Holy Spirit inviting you into? Preaching to myself. Preaching to myself. How many times was I just too busy too focused on other things, and how many times did I just choose apathy because it's easier? We will momentarily be partaking and celebrating in one of the most painful and sacrificial examples of receiving and believing and obeying in all of history in this mutual giving relationship of the Trinity, the act of obedience that resulted um, in the most joyful, or this act of obedience resulted in the most joyful and beautiful and complete restoration in all of history. I wanna look at John 17 one more time, and I want you to pay attention to these action words. I'm gonna read it again. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me. They have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words that you gave me. They accepted 
them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. Look at these action words. Received. Believed. Accepted. Obeyed. You might even want to look at, if you study this on your own, you might even want to look at the order in which those action words are laid out in the text. So, we are going to be partaking in the most sacrificial, painful, loving act of obedience in all of history. And so I would love that to be our inspiration when we're responding to the Holy Spirit's, the Holy Spirit's invitation to transformation in our lives. The Holy Spirit's tra- invitation to transformation in our lives is what a lot of people call obedience. So when we're responding in obedience, let this table be our inspiration. So the big reveal, we don't want to miss it. We've outlined ways that we miss it. And and my conviction is that God is revealing himself to each of us all the time, again and again, every day. He is continuously revealing himself in the power and the beauty and the majesty of nature. Hallelujah. I mean, come on. What, What do we get to look at every day that most of the country does not get to look at every day? He's revealing himself in the joy of new life, of new jobs, of new relationships. He, and he's revealing himself in the smallest of kind gestures. It makes me think of the song that we sing, So Will I. And, and, and it says, I can see your heart eight billion different ways. Every precious one, a child you died to save. So he is revealing himself in all kinds of ways, through his creation, through his people, and through his Holy Spirit that speaks to us if we give margin for our brains to be able to receive it. So if this is the conviction, how do we get better at this? I am going to blow through these real fast because some of them are pretty intuitive. Some of these things you know. I just hope I've given you a little bit more inspiration for practicing them, a little bit more inspiration for obedience. Some of them we know, scripture. Are you in a daily or a weekly scripture meditation? Are you in his active and living word so that you know, you know his word and his words, the way he speaks? And so then when you're somewhere else and you really need to hear from him, you can recognize it. Oh, this is the voice that I see, that I read in scripture. Yes, this is the Lord. This is the Holy Spirit. Time for quiet. Pretty obvious. I've already helped you practice that today. 60 seconds. That was, um, you know, that was not a lot. So try to, <laughs> so try to build up. Um, you don't necessarily have to get to 14 hours, although I challenge you to. 
Um, so 60, somewhere in between 60 seconds and 14 hours um, a day <laughs> for quiet, um, for quiet and silence and solitude. Prayer, prayer is another integral part of not missing the revelation, not missing the way he reveals himself. If we're in communication with him, um, getting into a life group, accountability. The Lord speaks to us, yes, through our, our thoughts, emotions, through, through our, our brain waves, uh, but he also speaks to us through his people, through the people of God. So if you're in an accountability relationship or in some sort of small group, hey, I'm really dealing with this. Can you guys enter into a time of prayer and discernment about this issue with me? Um, that's, that's huge. Come volunteer at Mary's home. You will see God at work. Vol go volunteer at Springs Rescue Mission. And we come to the table in remembrance. That is another way that God reveals himself to us. He knew that we would need tangible, physical things on earth to be like, oh, yes, that's right. God loves me. God is here. God is revealing himself to me. The table. So we're going to move into our time of communion today and our celebration of communion. And I would love Jesus's receiving and giving and obedience to be our inspiration this morning. Elders, you can come forward. It was the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, a night that he knew was coming for a long time, and a night that came very soon after the scripture that we're studying, where he took the bread at the Passover celebration and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. And he took the cup in the same way can you imagine the confusion of the disciples? We get to participate in this, in his hospitality and his love and his light and his life all the time. And the disciples would have been so confused when he picked up the cup and he poured it out and he said, this is my blood shed for you. And in it, we have a new covenant. Hallelujah. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. It is all prepared. So if you are a follower of Christ, I invite you to the table now. <laughs>